I um, this uh, series about what would we do if Jesus was here? What what would it be like? If you know, we we understand that Jesus is present. Okay, I'm not saying that, but I mean, what would life be like if He was here? If He was physically here, if He was physically with us? And so I got to thinking about the ways that um, people act, the things that people do, the things that people say. And you know, you ha- I have lots of friends. You have lots of friends. People that you talk to, people that you're around, people from your past, people that you know, and you can kind of most of them, or a lot of them at least, you can kind of put into a category. This person is really enthusiastic about, and then you can point to something. Um, for, for example, I, ha- I have a friend that uh, it doesn't make any difference what day of the week it is, or what the weather's doing. We were living in Salt Lake City, and it would be cold and blustery and windy and everything, but the first thing he does every morning is get out, put his running stuff on, and goes out in the weather and run. You know, he, he's a... I, I called him an exercise fundamentalist. You know? All he could think about was exercise. My brother down in Aztec, is a, a, a woodworking enthusiast. He's always in his garage, in his workshop, and he's doing woodworking stuff. And he does some really beautiful stuff. But you can be assured that when you see him, he's going to talk to you or say something or show you something about woodworking. Jennifer and I went down to, to one of his... Um, uh, shows a couple of weeks ago, and they had it in a in a place down in Main Street, Farmington, and he just had all of his stuff out there that you could go down. And uh, I don't know if he ever sells anything for what he, the prices that he has on there, but boy, what a what a great deal um, that is. Yesterday, I was helping my uh, son-in-law put down a floor. In, in their house and uh, he had a couple of his other friends there and uh, Jennifer called and said I'll go get pizza and bring pizza and everybody will eat so we said okay that sounds good what kind of pizza are we going to get blah 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 and everything well my daughter when she gets a pizza you know she doesn't care what you order but when she gets the pizza she pulls all the vegetables off of it before she eats it no mushrooms you know, no bell peppers. <laughs> she just throws them all off. And she spends more time getting that pizza ready than she does eating it. But one of the guys that was working with them this, this weekend is a vegetarian. So we had to order one vegetarian pizza so he could eat it. And one non-vegetarian eat pizza so she could eat it. You know, he's a, what I call them are food fundamentalists. You know, uh, they can't eat anything but vegetables or they can only eat vegetables or, or uh, what. I have some folks, I have, I have one friend who's a political fundamentalist. I mean, he, he uh, every time I talk to him, he lives in Salt Lake City and, and every time I talk to him, he has some crazy remark to make about a politician somewhere. Um, 
you know, just just all, you know, there, there are countless numbers of fundamentalists. You, you can think of them, numbers of people who are enthusiastic about something. You know, my friend uh, uh, Steve in Salt Lake City is a golf fundamentalist. You know, that's all he ever thinks about. He wants to, he wants, he wants to play, and that's great on the days that I want to go play golf, you know. But uh, they're just, you know, there are all kinds of folks. I have an uncle, actually it's my dad's cousin, uh, but we call him Uncle Bud, and uh, he's a fishing enthusiast. Now when I say a fishing enthusiast, you need to understand what I'm talking about. Uh, that's all he does, that's all he thinks about. He, he has a house in Denver, and he has a house up by Yellowstone, and uh, he fishes. He comes to visit my mom and dad. And, you know, he's single. He's the same age as my dad. Uh, he comes and he visits my mom and dad, and he gets up every morning and goes fishing. <laughs> you know, dad may go with him, but usually doesn't. Uh, and they, he comes back at night, and, and, and he's been fishing. Uh, that's just about all. He, and when he gets home from fishing, he has this little case in his in his pocket. He takes it out and dumps these bugs out on the on the table. And then he gets his tie flying stuff out and he tries to tie a fly that looks like one of those bugs. Uh, that <laughs> That's a fisherman. Um, I read about a f- guy who'd been fishing all day and he didn't have any luck. But uh, they were counting on him for meat at home and so he stopped off at the meat market and asked the storekeeper to pick out three of the largest trout that he has. And the guy says, shall I wrap them for you? And he said, no. He says, I'm going to stand over here by the door, and I want you to throw them to me from behind the counter. The guy says, what? He says, yeah. He says, I've been fishing all day, and I haven't caught a thing. I may not be a very good fisherman, but I'm a worse liar. And when I get home, my wife's going to ask me if I caught anything. I want to be able to tell them the truth. Yeah, I caught these three. Well, why am I telling you about these people? You know, my, my friend Bill in, uh, in Moriarty is enthusiastic about his church. And I talk to him maybe about once a week, and, and, it's all, and, and, and his questions and his comments are, are always about his church, whether it's doing well or whether it's... And he always wants my opinion. And so I know if I talk to him, it's going to be about his church, which, by the way, used to be my church, but... Uh, Hasn't been for 20 years. And uh, I think about that. When, when people think about me, what do they think I'm enthusiastic about? What, 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 I'm not asking you to ask, answer that. Um, when people think about you, what, what do they say? Well, you know what he's really enthusiastic about? And in uh, going through that process, I thought to myself, okay, so what's Jesus enthusiastic about? If Jesus was here with us, what would we go home at night and say about having spent the day with Jesus? Is, is that a fair question to ask? I mean, if he's going to be with us, we want to know exactly what Jesus was all about. 
So what I did is I, I took a couple of passages of Scripture. Uh, they're, in, they're in Mark. Uh, the first one's in the second chapter, and the second one's in the third chapter of Mark. And uh, let's, let's look at the first one. It's Mark chapter 2, verse 23. And uh, I'm, I'm going to read out of the New International this morning instead of the New American. Because I think it, I think it says it just a little better. Here's what he says. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through grain fields. And as the disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Okay, so what the Pharisees said was that picking grain on the Sabbath was harvesting. Okay, and so that's work. And you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. You know, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. On six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is, is a Sabbath, a day of rest. And you're not supposed to do anything on that day. And the Pharisees had taken that to, to the very, very, very extreme. Even to the point of there are only so many steps that you can take on a Sunday or else you're working. I mean, on a Saturday. Or else you're walking. When I visited my friend David in uh, in Israel, we went to some folks one Saturday afternoon. We were going to go over to some folks' house for dinner, and it was uh, they were they were uh, missionaries there in Israel as well, and they lived in a in a high rise apartment building, and so we go over there and we go in, and and Dave looks at me and he says, "Now this is a kosher." building he said they have a shabbat elevator anybody know what a shabbat elevator is well if you were to push a button to tell the elevator to go up or down you would be working on the sabbath so on the sabbath day the elevators just go up and down one story at a time so when it came to the the bottom row, the elevator door opened, we got on. I think they lived on like the fifth floor, something like that. It goes up to the first floor, it opens, nothing happens, <laughs> shuts, goes up to the second floor, opens, nothing happens. And that's a Shabbat elevator. That, that's how far they had taken the command not to do any work. And so here's Jesus and his disciples walking along, and they're hungry. The disciples pick some heads of grain. They have to grind them up just a little bit. That would be what? Threshing them? <laughs> Winnowing them? And then eating them? They were working on the Sabbath, according to the Pharisees. Jesus, though, when they asked him, what are they doing is unlawful on the Sabbath, Jesus answered and said, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. Then he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So, in, in my mind, when I picture this, this event, 
here are these Pharisees. They're fundamentalists. Their fundamentalists is about religion. They're religious fundamentalists. They're crazy about religion. They, they want to keep the religious laws. They want to do the religious things. And you think, okay, well, well Jesus is, is, is the, the head of our religion. He is, the, he is the, the God of our religion. But folks, he's not a fundamentalist about religion. That didn't bother him a bit to take the grain and fix it and for his disciples to eat it. And he held up as an example David doing the same thing in the, in the um, tabernacle. And so, Jesus, so what I picture are these fundamentalist Pharisees hiding. Now, they probably weren't, okay? But in my mind, they were hiding in the grain field and they were watching Jesus. And when his disciples reached out and grabbed the, the uh, grain, the Pharisees popped up and said, Aha, gotcha! You know? Now you're, you're breaking the law. You're breaking the law of the Sabbath. But then Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Do you know what I'm going to tell you that I think Jesus would be a fundamentalist at? What you would go home at night and say, man, that Jesus. Love. Love for people. You see, Jesus says, hey, the people are more important than the rules. That's what he tells them here. The people are more important than the rules. You saw the, the, uh, all the stuff on TV the last couple of weeks. You know, after Billy Graham had passed away, I, I don't know how many times they showed him preaching different sermons. And he would have been standing there. And, and, and the one thing that he said over and over and over again, just the, the things that the people picked out, you know, the news media or the people on the thing, they picked out and they're showing this one sermon. And there's Billy Graham standing up there. The one thing, what, what did they show him saying over and over again? God loves you God loves you and that was his message God loves you and I think that if if we were to see Jesus and we were to walk with Jesus and he was to be here with us that would be the message that we would get I love you Jesus would say you're important to me Jesus would say uh, Jesus' fundamentalism was about loving people you know, God demonstrates His love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He went to the cross for us. Everything Jesus did was because of His love. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man would give up his life for his friends. It was because of love that Jesus cared more for people than He did for rules. It was because of love that Jesus was able to withstand Satan's temptation in the wilderness. You know, Jesus could have done any of those things Satan asked him to do, but he was thinking about you. You were on his heart. You were on his mind when, when he passed up 
those temptations. You know, I, I believe when, when uh, the disciples said, let the little children come to Him. And Jesus swept up the little children in His arms. It's because He saw each one of them as an individual person. And Jesus, as we sing, loves the little children. All the children of the world. He, he, he's, he loves them. It was love that drove Jesus to the cross. He could have been literally the king of the world. He could have set up an empire. He could have displaced Caesar as the emperor of Rome. and then, the, But because that wasn't what he was about. He was about loving us. Loving you. It was love that finally ended his life on Calvary. People were always his primary concern. Think about walking with Jesus and being with Jesus in your daily in your daily life while you're doing the things that you do. The thing that would impress Jesus the most would be the people that he saw. The people that reached out to him and that he reached out to. I don't think Jesus would be a religious fundamentalist. He was a love fundamentalist. Then Mark chapter 3 starts this way. He says, Another time he went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. You know, (laughs) I get the idea that, uh, I probably ought not say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. That as, as I was reading this and thinking about it, it reminded me of some of the ways that the news media is treating our president. You know, they're standing around looking for a way they can accuse him. They make any difference what he does. They they want to they want to accuse him, and then there are others who are watching everything that he does and they want to praise it. You know, they want they want to lift it up. I'm I'm not trying to take one side or the other. I'm just saying that they stand back and they look. And they see what they want to see. And then they report what they want to see. Not maybe what's really happening. And that's what the Pharisees remind me here. They're just following Jesus around. Waiting to see him mess up in their minds. And then they're going to report it. They were watching him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. And so Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand. Hey, stand up here in front of everybody. And then Jesus asked them the pharisees which is lawful on the sabbath to do good or to do evil to save life or to kill and they didn't answer they remained silent so listen listen to this phrase he looked around them at them in anger and was deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched his hand out, and it was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Now I want you to see the contrast here. The Pharisees were watching Jesus closely because they wanted to accuse him. They wanted to find him doing something that was wrong. They were focused 
on the rules. They were focused on the law. They, they were focused on, on finding something that Jesus was doing because He wasn't like them. He was different than them. For the Pharisees, abiding by the strict letter of the law concerning the Sabbath was, was fundamental to who they were, to their attitude, for why they existed. They, uh, they believed that safeguarding the Sabbath observation was more important than people. More important than reaching out to others. More important than giving life in place of death. So that's what the Pharisees are focused on. What was Jesus focused on? What, 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 what was primary in His mind? There were two things. Actually, there was one thing in two manifestations. He was concerned that that man had a withered hand. That bothered Jesus. Especially because he could fix it. He could fix it. The other thing that bothered him, what, what made him angry? Remember? He was angry at the stubbornness of the Pharisees' hearts. In other words, he was upset that they didn't care for the man as much as he did. And he was moved to compassion by the sight of the man with the withered hand. He's moved to anger as he detects the hardness of the Pharisee's heart. And so Jesus literally was butting heads with people whose fundamentalism was different than his own. Jesus cared about people. So I think if Jesus was here, that, that's what we would find him doing. We would find him caring about others. We have today a culture that's messed up. We, we live in a messed up society. You know, school shootings is just one, one instance of the messed up society that, uh, that, we're, uh, that we're living in. The legislatures, actually it's not in the legislatures, judges in courts are, are, are making rulings left and right. And, and here's the thing that they're saying to us. You have to tolerate, tolerate one another. You have to tolerate these people. But folks, tolerance is the lowest level of caring about other people. Tolerance is, is, is not a good enough for Jesus. Jesus did not say, tolerate your neighbor. Tolerate your enemy. What did He say? Love them. Love your neighbor. Love your enemy. Love those who persecute you. He said, love them enough to care for them. I read a story about a little girl that uh, went to her friend's home for, and she was going to stay at the French home overnight. And uh, they were fixing dinner. And the mother of the little girl where she was staying said, well, we're going to have broccoli tonight for supper. Do you like broccoli? 
And the little girl just, you know, she brightened up. She says, oh, yes, I love it. And so she was pretty happy about that. But when the bowl of broccoli was passed, she took it, didn't take any broccoli, and passed it on. And the mom said, I thought you said you loved broccoli. And the little girl replied sweetly, oh, yes, ma'am, I do, but not enough to eat it. You know, that's the way we love a lot of folks. I love them enough to tolerate them, but I don't love them enough to get involved with them, to care for them. <laughs> Jesus said, um, Love your neighbor. The person he said it to said, well, Who is my neighbor? Can you define that? And what did Jesus tell him? You know what the story was Jesus told him after he said that? It was the parable of the Good Samaritan. He said, here's your neighbor. Your neighbor is anyone whose needs you see and whose needs you're able to meet. That's your neighbor. A neighbor is someone who says, a neighbor in Jesus' mind is someone who says, what is mine is God's and what is God's belongs to my neighbor because my neighbor belongs to God. I think if Jesus were here, he would scare us with his love. He would scare us with the amount of love that we have. Let's suppose just for a minute that you were walking down a dark street and you saw a, uh, a little old lady or a little old man coming towards you on this dark street. There's, there's nobody else in the street. And it suddenly occurs to you. It just, you know, some of those things, times things just swoop across your mind and before you know what you're doing, you've thought something. And you think, you know, it would be incredibly easy just to knock that person over and take their purse or take their wallet and I would have everything that, 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 that uh, they have. Now, you wouldn't do that, would you? Okay. But here's the question. And, and, here, and here's, the, here's the thing I think that we need to recognize. There, there are actually two reasons. No, there are one of two reasons why you wouldn't do that. Some of you wouldn't do that because you don't want to shame yourself. You don't want to disgrace yourself. You're not a despicable person who would do something like that. And what would happen if you got caught? It would dishonor your family. Dishonor your kids. Your kids would look at you as being, uh, you know. People would despise you for picking on the weak that way. It would not be a good thing to do. And if that was the reason that you didn't because of the law or because of what people would think about you or because you said basically I'm a good person and good people don't do that, 
then, then that's one way, one reason that you wouldn't respond. Sociologists call that shame and honor. Shame and honor. I direct what I do because I either receive honor or I receive shame for, for doing it. The second option, the second reason that you might not do that or, or, or the, the, the thinking that would go in your mind would be this. If I took her money, how hard would it be on her? How, how would she provide for herself? Uh, how, if she depended on the man in her purse and it was taken from her, what would happen? Or, or what would happen to the people who depend on her? And, and I want her to have a good life that is safe. And so, you know, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to take what belongs to her because I'm thinking of her. That's called, sociologists call that kind of thinking, regard for others. Okay? So the question then becomes, do I do this because of shame and honor or do I do this because I care about her now are you following me if you're following me go like this if you're not I'll go back and go through it all again (laughs) okay so I don't want you to raise your hand I just want to ask you I know you wouldn't take the purse why would you not take the purse because of the shame and dishonor that would come to you or because of what it would do to the person that you took it from. Folks, the Pharisees lived in the shame and honor culture. They didn't do things or want to do things because of the shame or the honor that it would bring. Jesus did things because of the ethics for other culture. The ethical system that dominated the world before Jesus, before Christianity, was shame and honor. In a lot of cultures today, shame and honor is still the culture and the reason that people do what they do. In our culture, in our Christian culture, ethics, our ethic has always been regard for others what what's the golden rule do unto others as you would have them do unto you that's the ethic of christianity but today in our world in our culture in our society in america we are returning to the shame and honor uh, ethic every time they pass a law that says you can't do that Nobody ought to have to pass a law to tell you not to rob somebody. Do you understand what I'm saying? You don't rob people because of what it would do to them. You don't have to pass a law. And and we have gotten into the, I've got to pass a law for this reason that we think, okay, we're good people because we obey the law. No, you're good people in the Christian culture Because you care for others. 
and what would happen to others. You know, (laughs) we have fallen back into the shame and honor culture and it doesn't work. And it won't work. And it'll get worse and worse. I just, and if Jesus was here, he would teach us what it means to put others first. He would teach us what it means to care for others, to love others. He would teach us, and we would see it. And I think, to you and me, it would be downright scary to see how much Jesus loved and the kind of love that, uh, that he did. Jesus chose to weave the thread of love through ever, and I just picked out two incidences in his life. You can read through all the Gospels and just read through the Gospels and, and see the things that Jesus did for other people. The way he ministered to them. The lady that touched the hem of his garment. The lady that asked for the crumbs from the table. The, you know, Mary and Martha and Lazarus and the way he related to them. You know, he, he was... He was a fundamentalist for love, for loving people. Okay. If you all guys will go like this, I'll decide you've got it, okay? Yeah, it's always easy to do that because nobody ever goes like that because they'll know I'll go on. So I'm going to give you a test. Are you ready? Here's the test. Um, I don't want you to write anything down. I don't want you to raise your hand or anything. Just just keep score in your head. Okay? Can you name the last five movies that won the Oscar for Best Picture? Okay? Here's, here's question number two. Can you name the world's Five wealthiest people. We can get some of them, I think. Anybody think they can get all five of them? All right, this one's more down my line, okay? Can you name the last five World Series most valuable players? Anybody even know who won it last year? Hmm? Anybody care? <laughs> it's, that's the whole point of this exercise. This one you can do. Most of you can do. You can name the five living ex-U.S. presidents. You can do that, right? Carter, Clinton, two Bushes, and Obama. So everybody got at least five on this test. Here's the last one. Can you name the last five Nobel Prize winners? Okay, that was 25 names. 25 names. Nobody got 25. Everybody got five. Okay? So somewhere between five and 25, you came in. What I'm telling you is you didn't do very good on that test. But folks, these are the great people in our world. These are the important people in our world. 
These are the newsmakers in our world. These are the people that everybody looks up and and says, this is who I want to be like. That's what I want to do. And you can't even name them. Let me give you 25 more names. See if you can get these people. Can you name five people that you enjoy spending time with? Can you name five people who taught you something worthwhile? Can you name five friends who have been there for you in a tough time? Can you name five teachers who aided your journey somehow? Folks, the neatest thing happened yesterday. I told you I was helping Derek with his with his uh, floor, and uh, I needed to get a part for one of the tools that I was using. So I was going to go down to the hardware store, and he says, "Well, why don't you take Soren with you? Soren, you want to go to the hardware store?" And so Soren, I said, "Well, I don't have a car seat." And uh, he says, "It's just around the block. You know, put him in the seat belt and take him. I do that sometimes. So don't tell." Don't ever tell Amy that we did that, okay? But uh, we, we put him in the seat belt, and I took him around to the hardware store. I mean, it's dirt roads, one turn, two turns, that. And we got around there, and we went in to, to get the part, and the lady behind the counter is a teacher at Teddy Bear's Preschool. And she saw Amy, I mean, she saw Soren, and she says, Oh, Soren, I'm so excited to see you. And folks, that little guy, he just he just lit up like a Christmas tree. He says, I'm excited to see you too. And I'm thinking, who is this person? <laughs> and, you know, and then she got down on her knees with him and they started talking about school on Monday and She's going to be back, and Miss Karen's going to be back, and Miss Karen is Soren's teacher that that he just loves. But she's been—they've been to a school or something for the last month. You know, that's somebody that's making an impact in that kid's life—a whole lot more of an impact than any president or any Jeff Bezos or Bill Gates or Michael Dell ever made. In a person's life. So you can name five teachers who aided your journey. Man, I'd have trouble limiting it to five, wouldn't you? Can you name five people you like just to have around you when you're hurting? If you can name those 25 people, raise your hand. You see, we know those people. They're the people who've made a difference in our lives. They don't necessarily have credentials. But they're the people who come with open arms. And they care about us. And they love us. And I think that defines Jesus. We would walk out of knowing Jesus and knowing, hey, Jesus loves me. Amen? That's, that's what love is about. That's what life is about. And, and here's the important thing. We can be that kind of person for other people.
Jesus would be that for us. And if we could see him, we would see him loving people and caring for people because people were his priority. People were his focus. And how important is it for us to do that? Jesus said to his disciples, he said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples. So what was the identification card that Jesus gave to us and says, this is how people will know that you are my disciples? You know what he said, right? That ye love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love one for another. Folks, you know, I, I hate to boil it down to something this simple. But Jesus' mark of discipleship is that we love one another. And I think if he was here, he would teach us that. Amen? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, help us to be lovers like Jesus. Help us to care for others like Jesus cared for others and like he cares for us. And Father, help us to walk in our daily walk as Jesus walked. And remind us, Father, that we are the most important people in the world when we make a difference in another person's life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing.